guys can go have a seat. Do me a favor, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can take that Bible, turn to page 930. Um, if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. You can take that. We, we here at the chapel believe in God's word. We study God's word. Um, and we study about a faithful God. Um, so, so turn to me to, uh, turn with me to page 930, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're in a series called Biblical Leadership, The Roles of Elders. We took a pause on our Acts series. Um, before we started this series a couple of weeks ago, we were, we've been in the book of Acts since last winter, right? Since, I don't know, October, November? Yeah, whatever. And we're gonna keep going, but we've taken a pause. But, but I found myself, I was able to find a passage in Acts that we can go back to. Um, Today's, the, the title of today's sermon is, is called The Roles of Elders. In the last three weeks, we've been in a series, like I said before, titled Biblical Leaders. And as a church, we're hoping to move forward to a elder-led model of governance. So in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at um, various texts to inform us of what biblical leadership looks like. And what we said in the first week was that, that we are a I messed this up in the first service, and I think I'm going to mess it up right now because my mind is drawing a blank. Um, a holy, royal priesthood and a holy nation. There we go. And, and, and from this royal priesthood and this holy nation, um, our biblical leaders, leaders of the church that will lead and oversee the church. And, and the reason why that is is because the, the church no longer needs a high priest to mediate on behalf of God's people. Right in the Old Testament, there was a high priest, and the priest, like Moses was a, a mediator, who mediated before God on behalf of the people. Now we're saying Christ has come, he was crucified, he is raised from the dead, he sits on high on the throne, he is our mediator between us and the Father, therefore we don't need human mediators, but we do need leaders of the church. And the second week, we talked about what are those, what are the leaders? What are the titles? We, we looked at three Three main titles, three main terms that we see in the New Testament, elders, overseers, and pastors. And we said those three titles are interchangeable. It means the same office, um, the same group of people who would lead the church. And this week, we're going to study the roles of elders. What are they supposed to do? What is their job, right? Like many of us here at one time in our life have applied to a job, and on that application, in some form or fashion, there is a job description. On that job description, it tells you exactly what they expect you to do. Like when I applied to, to this position, at the high school position, um, one, of it, uh, one of the job descriptions were babysit your children. Um, that's not true, because I wouldn't have taken it if it said that. Um, no, but one, one of the job descriptions, one of the, the roles that I would have played or I am playing is that I would teach the high schoolers, right? That's a role. So today we're going to look about what does the Bible say are the roles of the elders, right? What are the roles? 
So just to set the context up for Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 31, Paul right now is on his third missionary journey. So we've kind of fast forward all the way to the end, but he's on his third missionary journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem to bring an offering with other, actually other elders to Jerusalem for the poor. And he wants to spend um, the feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. So he's on his way. So he stops at a port city and he sends out a letter to the elders of Ephesus, which is about 30 miles away from where he's at. And he says, hey, I want to come talk to you. We, 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 we need to talk. I, I'm not going to see you again. We'll never talk again. So I want to give you a, a, a lasting message and encouragement and also a rebuke to do what I've called you to do, to do what God has called us to do. So then in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he's talking to the elders and he tells them to do this. Read with me, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice what he calls them. He calls them overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We'll talk about that. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not spurring the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears." There are two things that I want us to draw our attention to. There are two main roles that we see in this passage. It's not exhaustive. This is, this is just what we see in this passage. There's just two roles. But before I tell you those two roles, I want you to look at this passage. What is he telling us not to do? What is he telling the elders not to do? Or, or rather, what is he explaining the roles of elder is not. And, and, and here's to give us a better understanding of the context of this passage and even um, the context of other scriptures in the New Testament in regard to the role of elders. What are elders not? Like what, what don't they do what they're not? Elders are not board of trustees from a New Testament passage. And then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about our trustees right now. But, but elders are not board of trustees. Elders are, elders are not board of trustees. The pastor, the senior pastor, the lead pastor, whatever you want to call them, the senior minister is not a CEO. The staff are, are not vice presidents of the company. The members of the church are not shareholders of that company. And the visitors here this morning, you're not potential customers. When I was reading this passage, I, I, I was convicted by this because I was reading another book called Church Elders um, by which I get this information. And, and it convicted me because oftentimes in the American culture and even American churches, we tend to pull American Western corporate ideology in the church. We oftentimes think that the, that the, the principles and values of Ameri American corporations are good for the church. We look at their structure and organization and think that is what's best for the church. Now, some of those principles are good. They're not bad. 
But the point I'm trying to make is that, that the principles that guide and lead the church are not influenced by corporate America. It's influenced by the word of God. We can use some of those principles, but, but our first and foremost guiding light, I think that was a soap opera, right? <laughs> I know. Like the principles in our guiding light is scripture. Amen. Not seven ways on how to be an effective corporate CEO. Because here's the deal, we're not here to sell you anything. Like, there's no transaction happening here. Like, I give you the gospel and somehow you give me money so I can get paid. Right? Like, we're not here to sell you a model or a franchise so that somehow you would continue to invest financially in the church so that we can grow bigger and better and larger. Right? Like, we're not building a franchise. We're not building a corporate mega empire. That's not our job. That's not our role. We're here, first and foremost, to lift up the name of Jesus. What we do, what we say, how we do it, and how we say it ultimately points to the person of Jesus. We're here to point you to the person of Jesus. We're here to magnify the name of Jesus. We're not here to sell you a vision. There's one vision, follow Jesus, that's it. And I'll say this, we're not here to lift up the name of the chapel. The chapel's a good name, has a, a strong and rich heritage. But let me tell you something, we're not here to build a franchise. We're not here to tell people, come to the chapel. We're here to tell people, come to the foot of Jesus. So before we think about elders, we got to remember that we are here first and foremost for the purpose of the gospel and pointing people to Jesus. God did not put us here to build an empire. God put us here, pastors, staff, lay people, members of the church, to expand God's kingdom by the proclamation of the word, by the power of the spirit not by the power of principles and values that we get from the world. So now that we know um, what elders are not, I wanna, say this by, I wanna say this about our trustees. The history of the chapel has been led by trustees and a senior pastor. And I will say this about our trustees now and past trustees. They have been faithful men who answered the call to lead in the which they were to lead. They oversaw the finances of the church, the properties of all our churches, and they provided high level feedback to the senior pastor. Our, our church has been blessed by trustees who have faithfully committed their life to seeing this church thrive. There's no ministry here at the chapel that doesn't have the resources it needs to proclaim the gospel. Every one of our missionaries, is paid, we owe nobody any money. You can ask Brian Miller, he's sitting in the congregation, he's the director of finance. We owe nobody any money. They have made sure that we have been in a position to proclaim the gospel without the impediment of worrying about the buildings, about the projects, the properties, and the finances. They have done a fantastic job. 
And I also want to say, as we move forward to an elder-led model, that, that there are many questions that you guys have about eldership. We just looked at a passage, and I'm going to tell you two main roles that elders have, but they're questions that we have about eldership, right? I'm sure you've thought about it. How long do elders leave the church? Do we call the governing board an eldership? Are the pastors elders? Do we have lay elders and paid elders? Do they stay for three years, five years, seven years, or is it a lifetime? What do they oversee? Do they continue to oversee all the properties and the finances? Do, do they govern who gets hired, who is fired? Do they get involved in the programs of the ministry of the church? What's the ratio between paid elders and lay elders? Those are all good questions to have. But I want to remind you that when we're reading Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 31, it doesn't answer those questions. In fact, the New Testament doesn't answer any of those questions. Because the New Testament wasn't meant to answer every single question we have about eldership. The New Testament, God's word, Old Testament and New, all of scripture was meant to speak into every context and every time for every generation. It wasn't meant to answer every single question because it wasn't meant to tell us the way on the processes and systems and procedures of how to operate a church because in those days, it was different. They met in houses. They were worried about their own lives. Now we don't have to worry about our own lives as far as communicating the gospel. We have grown bigger. The world has become more susceptible to biblical truth, historically, not now, but historically. So the context has changed. So how do we answer those questions? Well, we pray to the Lord. Give us insight from your word. We, we seek godly counsel on the procedures and systems and processes of how to govern. And we do what is right and what's best for us that's founded on the principles of the word of God. So the questions that we have, those are good questions. Trust me, I have them too. There's a list of questions that I have about the future. But I'm confident that those questions get answered because we are entrusting ourselves and the church in the hands of God. We're trusting our leaders in the hands of God. And we've been taken care of. God has been faithful. God has been faithful to us here. God has been faithful to the people in Akron at the chapel for decades. So we put ourselves in God's hands. So, so now that I told you what elders are not, and I kind of told you, well, we don't have the answers to all your questions. What are the two main roles that elders do have? There are two roles that I see in this passage that, that they all have to have, and, and that's, that's to govern and to teach. We can use another word for governance uh, 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 as overseers or to oversee, but the two roles that we see in this passage is um, to govern and to oversee. Some other people look at this passage, look at other passages about eldership, and they'll say, well, there's more than that. I mean, there, 
their overseers, their teachers, their preachers, or their leaders, their shepherds. Um, you can categorize it however you want to categorize it. I just categorize it two ways. When we look at this passage, they are to govern, meaning they are to oversee. They sit on top of the church, under the authority of Christ. Christ is our good shepherd, the chief shepherd. They sit on top of the church to oversee, to watch, to govern, and to teach. And I want us to focus our attention for a moment on the governance part, on how they govern. Look at verse 28 again. Verse 28, Paul exhorts the elders of the church to pay careful attention to what? What does he want them to pay attention to? The first role of an elder described in this passage is they are to govern. What are they to govern? They are to govern their own souls and character. Elders cannot adequately lead or oversee a church if they themselves are not spiritually mature or have a spiritual formation. Elders cannot adequately lead our church if they themselves are not growing in the word. They cannot lead a group of people under the authority of Christ if they themselves are not actively in the word of God, praying on behalf of the church. And oftentimes we see many places at many different times where, where people value other things besides character. We talked about this last week when Jeff was preaching about character. What are the qualifications of a good elder? They have 15, 16, or 14, whatever the number was, good qualifications and characteristics to lead the church. Why? Why ought they govern themselves, their own souls, and character? It's because in our culture, we have a high value of competency over character. We value what people can do over who they are. We become enamored with their ability to lead and grow over their morality or their moral compass, right? We have become overly dependent on people by measuring their success by how big they can grow a church or how big they can grow an organization or how big they can maintain an organization and yet we disregard their character and we disregard their virtue. And that's what Paul is wanting to prevent. That men, elders of the church, do not become puffed up by what people say to them, by what they do, by their giftings and talents because they can destroy a church. Technique, management skills, popularity, and charisma are not attributes we hold high in regard. It ought to be compassion, love, mercy, grace, and peace are the characteristics we see. And Paul is exhorting the elders to watch over themselves. Continue to be in the word so that they do not become Men who lead inappropriately. I think of the Old Testament story of Eli. How many remember the story of Eli, the priest? He was supposed to lead God's people. And what happened with Eli and his sons? They inappropriately managed the household of God. They mismanaged the people of God. And because of that, because of that God, God decided that they were unfit and unqualified to lead his people. So he raises up another leader. 
Paul's reminding the elders of Ephesus to govern their own souls and character because we are tempted to believe that our effectiveness, our accomplishments can overcompensate for the lack of godly character. We can be tempted to think what is best for the church and what's best for people is our ability. And let me tell you something. This was convicting to me. I was reading this because there was a moment in time, I shared this with somebody a while back. In the last couple of months, there was a moment in my, in my life. And I, this is outside of character. I don't necessarily have like a, I, how do I say that? Like I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily a proud person in my abilities. I actually have a lot of insecurities about myself, the way I talk, the way I preach, the way I look, all that. I have a lot of insecurities. Um, and I only say that because to show you what happened. In a moment, in a couple of months ago, I was, um, I don't remember the time, but I, I just know in a moment I had a thought come into my mind. And this was the thought. And I knew instantly it wasn't me. I knew it was like, this is bad. This is sin. This is not what I ought to be thinking. But in a moment, I thought, thinking about the future of our church, I said to myself, oh, I have the abilities and skills to do this. I can fix this. And that's outside, that's outside of my character because I, I'm just naturally insecure about those things. And in that moment, I realized, wait a minute. That's not my thought. That was someone else's thought. It's a lot easy to get puffed up in pride and be prideful. And what Paul is warning is that we ought to govern our souls and our character, making sure that what we do, what we say, how we act, what we think, what we watch, where we go, is all aligned with scripture that looks like Jesus. And that's my heart desire that, that we would look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, be like Jesus. We're not going to be perfect. We're, we're still going to be sinful. But our desire, my desire is that you would see Jesus and not me. That you wouldn't see a good sermon or a really bad sermon, but that you would see Jesus. That, like, that you would see that the way the elders would lead and guide and shepherd will point you to Jesus. Not to a method, not to a model, not to me, not to the pastors, but that it would point you to Jesus. But the way to do that, the way we can do that, is that the elders and pastors would govern their own souls and character. Think about what Jesus said to the religious leaders in Matthew. Right? I mean, if you think about it, Paul is, is, is encouraging the Ephesus elders to govern their own souls and characters that was way different in which the religious leaders of Jesus' time behaved and led. What does Jesus say about the religious leaders? They preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbis but others. Those are the religious leaders. And what Paul is encouraging the elders at Ephesus, don't be like that. Don't be puffed up with pride. And the way you guard yourself from pride, the way you guard yourselves from falling into temptation it's to take inventory and self-evaluation of your own heart, your thoughts, and your actions. You keep yourself accountable to God's word. You keep yourself accountable to godly men and women in your life. 
so that you can properly govern your own soul. What else are they to govern? Not only are they to govern their own selves, look at verse 28 again. They are to govern, they are to care for the church of God. Elders are to govern over the church. They are to govern over the flock. Paul uses the term the flock as an illustration that's well suited for their time and day, but to communicate an idea. Another way of putting it, right? Hebrews uses a similar analogy. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Elders are responsible before the living God to lead, guide, gauge the general spiritual temperature of the church. They are to gauge the spiritual health of the church. They are to watch over the mission of the church. They are to watch over the purpose of the church. They are to watch the unity of the church. And he's using this illustration, the flock, using the illustration that elders are to be shepherds because sheep need to be fed. Sheep need to be protected. To be honest with you, sheep are not the smartest animals. Neither am I. I needed, to, I needed to be protected. I needed to be fed. I needed to be kept away from, from outside attacks, inside attacks. And that's what he's reminding them, that they're shepherds. They're overseers. They're to govern and oversee the flock. They're to feed the sheep with food. They're to lead and be tender with the flock. And they are to go after the sheep that go astray. One of the roles in governing and shepherding the flock is that when one goes, you run after them. What does Jesus say about the parable of the, of the sheep, right? Go after the one forsaking the 99. That's the role of a shepherd. You go after the ones that are going astray. And why are elders commanded to pay close attention to their own souls, their own character? Why are they supposed to pay attention to the flock? Why are they supposed to govern and oversee the church? Well, he says it again in verse 28. They are called and appointed by the Holy Spirit to care for the people of God. The flock was bought with a price. That's what he says. Look at it again to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, how did God the Father obtain it with his own blood? God the Father is a spirit. In this passage, we see the doctrine of the Trinity. How does God the Father purchase the church with his own blood? He does it through his son, Jesus Christ. It cost God something so that you and I can be in right relationship with him, and it cost him his son. Blood was shed for you and me. And the reason why the elders are to take care of the church, to oversee it, to be vigilant, to always keep watching day in and day out is because you and I are valuable in the sights of God. That when he sees you, he sees what it costs him. When he sees you and me in the church, he remembers what he had to do to rescue you and redeem you from yourself. It cost him something. 
He had to give up something, and he gave up his son. That's why we ought to, the elders of the church, watch, keep watching, and be careful with the church because we're valuable to him. To neglect the flock, to neglect the church, is to hinder the witness and testimony of the church and the work of the cross. To neglect the flock is to impede the work that God has called the elders to do. That's why it's important for them to keep watch. What's the second thing that elders are called to do besides governing themselves, their character, and the church? They're to teach. What are they to teach? Verse 29 tells us they ought to teach sound doctrine. Elders of the church set the theological boundaries of the church. Titus 1 says he, referring to the elders, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Elders ought to have a firm grasp of God's word. They ought to have a passion to persuade others to understand and believe in God's word, right? Like the whole goal of an elder to be able to teach sound doctrine is that if you have a question about a theology, they ought to be able to open up God's word and says, this is what the word of God says. Now, it doesn't mean that they ought to be handsome and good looking as I am to <laughs> preach the word. I know. It doesn't mean that they wear good black shirts on Sunday morning because it's so hot in here and I don't want you to see me sweat. It doesn't mean that they ought to be charismatic or have a lot of charisma to teach. It means that they understand the word of God, have a good grasp of God's word. They're not to be the famous preachers of our day. They ought to just faithfully teach God's word. Know God's word, have insight in God's word. Know biblical truth. But why does Paul say they ought to be able to teach? Here, here's why. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. They teach sound doctrine to protect the church from outside threats. They are to protect the church from false teachings. And that has been the history of the early church, right? In the early church, what were they combating? Gnosticism. What are we combating today? Well, just pick it. Skepticism, relativism, right? Like we live in a culture now that truth is relative. There is no absolute truth. God's word is not true. Whatever I feel for today, that is true. We live in a world that's skeptic about the gospel, that's skeptical of institutions and organizations, skeptical of the church and its leaders and its doctrine, and most of all, skeptical of the word. There are people in our culture that believe in aliens, but yet cannot believe that there was a man named Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. That's mind-boggling to me. You believe in angels. Yet history tells us a man named Jesus died for you so that you can live life abundantly. 
They are to teach sound doctrine to protect the church from outside threats. We live in a post-Christian world. Let me tell you something. We need strong leaders in our church. And when I mean church, I mean Big C Church. Like things are not easy. Things are getting worse. Things are getting harder. It is harder to be a Christian. And we need men who are willing to stand up, speak truth, speak truth against the world, to remind the flock and the sheep of the truth of the gospel. And oftentimes we see that churches have not done that. We see that churches have taken on new doctrine. I mean, think about mainline Christianity. For, for decades, if not centuries, right, the mainline Christianity in America have been a force for the gospel. And now they're all scattering. They don't believe in the truth of the word. They don't believe in God's design for men and women. They don't believe God's design for life in the womb and outside of the womb. They don't believe in God's design for Christian living because they've been influenced by the false teachings because there was a lack of biblical leadership. That's why we need men who are willing to preach the truth, sound doctrine, to protect the influences of the threats that come from outside the church. And not only are there threats from outside the church, there's threats inside the church. I'm reminded of 1 John, right? 1 John says, says this, right? That they were with us, they were among us, but they were not of us, right? There, is, there are threats in the church from the inside. There are pastors who preach Moralistic therapeutic deism, teaching that, that all that God wants for you is not sanctification, it's not holiness. What he wants for you is to feel good about yourself. We live in a culture where there are churches who preach health and wealth and prosperity. And the problem with the prosperity gospel is that it offers you too little. Who cares if you have the mansion, but you're depressed? Who cares if you have the big home and yet your marriage is broken? Who cares if you have all the health, but you can't spend any time with your children because there's strife. And we have churches that preach that. Because why? They're more concerned about filling their own pockets than they are about telling people sin is real. Sin's a problem. The world's a problem. But there is hope. There is hope in Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel but they're threats inside. God has given elders to the church who are willing to speak truth against false teachings. Now, let me say this. They are, they are to speak it in love. No elder or elders are to use God's word, are to use sound doctrine, are to use biblical truth as a weapon against the church because there are churches who use it as a weapon for behavior modification. You have to look a certain way. You have to do this. And if you don't do it, you lose your salvation. If, if you say this, you're, you're, you're in danger of losing salvation. No, no, no. Elders, pastors, whatever we're gonna call them, are to use biblical truth, sound doctrine, the word of God, as a tool to show people who they are in light of who God is. They are to use it like a mirror to show people 
how desperately they need Jesus. They are to show people and point people to Jesus, not point them to a method or a model in behavior modification. They're to point people, the church and the community to Jesus in love, in compassion, grace, and mercy. It means nothing. I say this all the time to people. I said, tone matters all the time. They are to do it in love, in grace and mercy, and be strong about it with strong convictions, right? You address sin in people's lives, not to beat them over the head, but to, to bring them to repentance, to gain a brother and a sister. The elders are to govern, they are to teach, and when they teach, they teach to protect the church from the influences of the world, the influences of false teachers that would come into the church and try to take believers away to believe a di different doctrine, a different set of rules. The work of the elder never ends. That's what Paul says, right? He said, he said to mimic me to them, he said, he said, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. The role of the elder should mimic the role that, that Paul played in the church. What does Galatians say? One of my favorite verses. Paul says, I travail like a mother giving birth to see Christ formed in you. The work of an elder is day in and day out to lift up the name of Jesus, to point the church to Jesus to care for the church, to run after the one who is gone. It's day in and day out. It doesn't stop. It doesn't end. The role of the elder picks up the phone at three o'clock in the morning to speak a gospel truth to the person who's at their end, who says life is not worth living. The role of the elder reminded, Paul reminded them and reminds us that it doesn't stop. We're to care and love for our people in ways that Christ has cared for us. Now, I've given you two main points. They are to govern, oversee. They are to teach. And, and that's what the Bible outlines in Acts chapter 20. But I want to give you some other points, short points, to show you the roles of elders that we see in other passages in scripture, right? One of the other roles uh, of an elder is to visit the sick and pray. James 5 says, if you are sick, call the elders. They would come. They will lay hands on you, anoint you with oil so that you can be healed. So that, so that your will and God's will was aligned, right? They are to execute discipline. When there's baby mama drama in the church, the elders are supposed to step in. Just not me, because I don't do that. Um, but they're there to step in when there's issues in the church. You know what the problem is, too, in American Christianity is that we become so privatized in our life that we don't know what's going on in people's lives. Like the whole purpose of living in community and living in the church with the church is so that we are vulnerable and authentic with each other, that everyone sees our junk, our issues, our problems, so that we can all help each other. And that when there's an issue in the church, the elders can come in and execute discipline. If someone is hurting someone else, the elders come in to discipline. 
But we live this life that, that we ought to be polished and reformed and, and look really good. And, and we come to church so that everyone can think that we're really okay. And the truth is, we're not okay. And the whole point of having elders is so that they can speak in to your life, to encourage other people in the body, to support and love you when there's issues, when there's, when there's problems in your life. I've said this before and I'll keep saying it again until I die. We are not a museum. We are a hospital where people come in to see the good shepherd, to see Jesus work in their life through the hands and feet of Jesus, the people, the body, the elders. The other thing that elders are to do are to oversee the finances. That's a practical way. We see one instance in the book of Acts one instance in the book of Acts in which the elders collected money to take to the poor to the church in Jerusalem. And the other role of elders is to appoint elders and deacons. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how they do these things and, and how in-depth they do. Remember, there's a lot of questions that we have. But here's what we do know. That the role of elders and the role of elders in this church will be far more robust. There'll be more more shared responsibilities. There'll be a plurality of elders to lead and guide the church. And what we see in this passage is an encouragement. This informs us of the type of person that we're looking for, the men that we're looking for, that we can identify, this is your job description. This is what we expect you to do. Why? Because the word of God says it. Now, you might think to yourself, this is very difficult. Yes, it is. But we sang before about a God who's faithful. My last word for you this morning is, God is faithful. You can trust him. He's been faithful before. He is faithful now. And he will be faithful. Has God not been faithful to this church? Has God not been faithful to you? I want you to think about the pain and the hurt that you've experienced in your life. Has God not been faithful even in that darkest time? He has. So we can trust him with this. We can trust God with our church and our plans. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, you are good. We can trust you. And we place our church in your hands. God, God, would you provide wisdom and guidance on how we ought to lead, the things that we ought to lead. God, would you provide clarity on the questions that we have. God, would you help us identify the men in this church who would faithfully pursue you and lead our church. God, would you help us and give us counsel on how to operate and organize this church for the glory of your son Jesus, for the fame of his name, not the fame of a person or the name of this church, but the fame of your son Jesus Christ. I pray, O oh God, that you would even draw out the men who would lead our church. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say, there'll be pastors up front and our prayer team to pray for you. If you have any questions or need something to pray for, we'll be here for you. See you next Sunday for our family service. 
This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.